we think of the words of this song, fill us, teach us, cause us to see You, to see Your Word, and to be realizing that it is God-breathed, Your Word given to us that we might know You and know how to, to worship You and also, Lord, how to treat one another to Your glory. And uh, we just pray that as we open Your Word this morning, You would minister to each of us right where our needs are, as only You can do through Your Holy Spirit in us. Open our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. In case you're wondering why these are sitting up here again, it's just a reminder that you will remember to. I would love to see that that cradle filled to overflowing, and not and having to put a box or something on the floor to catch it all, uh, because I know they do an awesome ministry, and it's so important in our in our area. So just a reminder for that. I put in my plug for it this morning too. Uh, We're in Matthew chapter 15 this morning, verses 21 through 28. As a way of getting there, uh, just a reminder of where we were last week, we were looking at the uh, discussion between the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, Basically, they'd sent a delegation to, to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they were questioning Him, and they finally got into what actually defiles a person. And the, the, the closing thoughts were verse 18, what comes out of the mouth and proceeds from the heart, uh, uh, this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile a person. It doesn't defile anyone. And the the point that Jesus was making is, is that we've that we'd gotten so caught up with man-made rules as to how to approach the things of God that they became the rules. And even to the extent of where if that's what we're doing, we're okay with God. And Jesus was saying, what's going on in here? You know, this is not unlike what had happened in chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus made sure that they understood that it's not just the act of doing something wrong, it's where the heart is. And, and where the mind is, how we think things through, and what comes from the mouth is what shows what's going on in our hearts. So keep that in mind as we approach this next thing, because the Pharisees, that's who they are. They're so caught up with, with, the, with what goes in and what, you know, and what they touch and how they touch and who they mingle with. They would never mingle in a crowd of people where there might be a group of Gentiles for the concern of walking away unclean. And even hanging with the commoners, there was a chance. And you know, that's what they called Jesus at that point. They said, oh, look, he's hanging around with the sinners and, and, the, and, the, and the people who, you know, the drunkards and all this kind of thing. And what, he was, what they were really saying was they're hanging around with the day-to-day people. They're not like us. We know how to do everything right. And as a result, we're right with God. And yet Jesus was saying their hearts were full of, of, of 
deceit and envy and murder and malice. And quite candidly, think about this. Jesus was calling the Pharisees in this first uh, few two couple parts of, of chapter 15. He ended up calling them unclean. Why? What was in their mind in reference to Jesus? They wanted to what? They wanted to kill Him. They wanted to murder. They had already decided this. They were looking for a way to destroy Him, to discredit His ministry, and ultimately destroy Him. So again, keep that in mind as we approach uh, where we are this morning in verse 21. Jesus went away from there, where He'd been talking with the Pharisees and, 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 and all. He said He went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And before I go any further, I need to talk about those places. Uh, you might recall uh, Jesus had made a, a, a comment back in Matthew chapter 11 about Tyre and Sidon and what was going on in His teachings around the Sea of Galilee. And He says, if what had come to Tyre and Sidon that has come to you, if it had come to them, they'd be repenting. And so he was making that comparison. Tyre and Sidon were, were the cities of pagan beliefs. I think Ashtera and others were their goddesses and they worshipped them and, and they had a tremendous Greek influence. In fact, it goes clear back to an influence of the Canaanites because that's who founded these cities. And then the Phoenicians that came along and, 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 would, uh, and, and around the, 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 the sea people of the Mediterranean, if you will, traveling and, and, and merchants. And so these cities became great. But they came, became great centers of pagan faith as well. There was no room for the God of Israel. And, and it wasn't a part of their life at all. And Jesus, here He goes, it says He's, he's entering, He goes away from them and He withdraws to the district of Sidon and, and, and Tyre. Uh, basically, He goes into the area of the Gentiles. No Pharisee would consider doing this in fact, in a lot of cases, if they had to do business somehow with the ports of Sidon, they would send emissaries. And, you know, and even though they would be Jewish emissaries, at least they didn't become unclean. I mean, they, they took that much care. There was places where if, if they were walking from, from Jerusalem to the northern area of Galilee where they might have to walk through some Gentile territories, they would literally cross the river or go over a mountain if they had to to avoid that. And because of that, again, they thought they were right with God. But Jesus says, no, it's what comes out of the heart, what comes out of the mind. So he's making a radical move. In, 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 and he takes his ministry into the country of the Gentiles, into the territory of the Gentiles. Picking up at verse 22, chapter 15 of Matthew. And behold... A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged Jesus, saying, 
Send her away, for she's crying out after us. She's making a scene. And Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, that even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is not a set of Scriptures that you want to just jump up and teach. First off, because there, you look at what Jesus is saying here and you can't help but feel like, man, it's, you know, he's really being harsh here. Where did this come from? It sounds so opposite of the way you want to treat people. So we need to look at this carefully. The Canaanite woman. We've got to start with her. Where is she from? By the very nature of her name, she's coming from an ancestry of the Canaanites. It's interesting, Mark calls her a Syrophoenician woman. So that actually tells us she probably comes from from Sidon or Tyre because those were the areas of the Phoenicians, but the whole general coastal area. So she is a Canaanite. She is of the Siren Phoenician metropolitan area, which means she is not a person who has a common relationship with the God of Israel. I want you to be sure you, you see that. She is a Gentile. Paul call, or Mark calls her a Syrophoenician and a Greek. And she isn't really a Greek. What, what the word there, the way Mark is using it, is uh, she is of a Greek culture because that's what the Syrophoenician culture would be at this time. It had been under Greek influence for a long time. And the other term is that the Greek is frequently used for the idea of Gentile. You're either a Jew, an, an Israelite, or you're a Greek, a Gentile. And that could be a separation point. Again, her familiarity would be with the, the god Asharti Ash, and, and, and other Greek gods or goddesses. And uh, yet she comes to Jesus with a purpose. Very clearly, she cries out, Have mercy on me. And she calls him, look at how, what she says, O Lord, Son of David. This is a term that the Jews would use. This is not something the Gentiles who knew of the Israel God would say. So she was, she was making a request under the name of the, of, the way, of the covenant, if you will. Son of David. O Lord, Son of David. Have mercy on me. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And I thought it was interesting. Have mercy on me. My daughter is the one that's got a demon. And, and somehow in my mind, I would, have said, I would have thought, have mercy on my daughter. She's demon-possessed. And as I was looking at this, I, I was thinking, 
Is it possible that because of her lifestyle and the area she was and the, and the beliefs that she had held and there were traditions in her family that her daughter might be demon-possessed because of that? Was there any liability possibly on her side as to the conditions under which her daughter became demon-possessed? I think that's implied. She's asking for mercy on me. The other side of it is just that parent's plea. Whatever's wrong, if I have done something wrong, Lord, fix my daughter. Would not any parent cry out? And, I, and, and, you know, kind of that picture, what would you do, give, or sacrifice for a child of yours sick? Especially under these conditions. So she comes, have mercy on me, but uh, Lord, uh, O son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She is, one thing that's clear, she is turning away from her culture, the pagan religion is of the area, and she is crying out to Israel's Messiah. You have to ask yourself, how did she know? And there is no real answer for this. The Scripture doesn't say, oh, by the way, somebody who had seen Jesus here and there and here and there went up to Tyre and Sidon and said, man, you ought to see what was going on down there. Those those Israelites are really going nuts. Uh, But somehow the news is spreading. People are hearing about Jesus and what's going on even in the Gentile world. They are talking about Jesus. That is implied here. And for whatever, however, she knew that Jesus was in the area, she finds Him. Now, I don't believe in in coincidences or, or, you know, those kind of like, oh, well, it just, you know, I believe God's orchestrating this. And I believe the Holy Spirit is driving her. And so, you know, if there's something even supernatural going on here, I can't say that that's not there. Several uh, commentators of the past have suggested, you know, that, you know that, that she knew because God was directing it. And I don't have a problem with that. The thing that, that I, I want you to also see here, though, and must be, must be looked at, is the comparison. Jesus has just condemned, if you will, the Pharisees and said, you're defiled because you won't acknowledge me, you won't worship me. He goes further in John chapter 8 and actually says, your father is the devil. If you really knew who I was, if you were really children of Abraham you would see me as I am and you would worship me. But no, you reject me so you, you know, because of your father, the father of lies, the devil. And, and so he's made it clear that the Pharisees are, are as, a, as a whole, are living by works but not by faith. And the, as a result, you know, they're not walking with God. And here comes this woman out of a pagan religion 
desperate to, to, to find the Son of God. And through the very words she uses, she's acknowledging who He is. What's hard to deal with is that she says all of that and Jesus doesn't answer her. The implication is he just walks, keeps walking on or just talking to someone else, but he doesn't acknowledge her situation. He did not answer her. I put in my notes here a big Y and circled it. <laughs> I'm not sure I have an answer, uh, but I think after after looking at this and, and again looking at a number of of, of commentaries, uh, both current and past, uh, the thought was is that the way she approached it, she had no claim to the Israel covenant, the son of David. After all, she was a pagan Gentile woman and uh, she, you know, there, was, there wasn't a claim that she could make, you know, using the, the term the son of David. Now the disciples, as this is going on, they intercede on her behalf. It says they begged Jesus to send her away. She's crying out after us. But the implication is begged is, is, is like and kept on begging, you know, as she kept on, on, on persevering. They started to persevere. And the implication of what they were saying was give her what she wants so she'll leave. Now, I don't think they were doing this out of mercy. Others think they were. I think they were doing this out of frustration. You've got to remember where they are. They're Jews themselves in Gentile territory with a Gentile woman and others around uh, asking for a favor of the, of, of the Lord, the Son of David. And I think it was difficult for them. But still, the, the implication is that they were saying, give her what she wants so she'll be quiet. I don't know if they were concerned that she was going to draw a crowd. Maybe that was happening. This is all new territory for the disciples. You know, some people say that, that Jesus was in the process of testing her faith and getting things, you know, how, how strong is your faith? How real is your faith? And a lot of, of, of people put uh, that into this picture. But I have no doubt he was testing the, de the disciples as well. He's training them. You remember, there's a point where he's going to send them to the whole world, including the Gentiles. Someone pointed out, I, I, I think it was uh, 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 Boyce that, that pointed it out, but, but the idea is interesting, isn't it? Especially in Matthew, the number of the times that the Gentiles appear. What's one of the first times that the Gentiles appear? At the birth of Jesus, there are Gentiles there to bring him, uh, you know, worship and and gifts, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I find that interesting. There's another time when a when a centurion, uh, a a Gentile, a Roman, 
in charge of a, of, of a group or a, what we might call today a battalion of, 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 of soldiers, comes to Jesus and says, Oh, my servant is paralyzed. And I know that you can heal him. I know how it works. You don't even have to go there by chain of command. You've got the authority to do it. I'm not going to go into detail, but you can go back to Matthew chapter 8 and see that again. So the disciples are getting some kind of of a picture here, but this, in the Gentile world, in a Gentile Canaanite woman, is all emphasized for a purpose. This has got to be overwhelming them. And I think Jesus is doing them doing this as much as anything for them to see where it's all going. And so Jesus answers the disciples in verse 24 and, and, and basically, you know, he says, I was sent to the lost sheep of, 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 of the house of Israel. Now, what he's saying is, is that my, my ministry has been to Israel. I am the Messiah of the Israelite people. That's all true. And Jesus, you know, yet he's going to tell them that it goes to the Gentiles as well. He's already said it at a few other times. Now he's showing them that he's not just the God of Israel, but he is the he's not just the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, but he is the Savior of the Gentiles as well. But he still points out come for Israel. I'm from the lost sheep of Israel. That's who I'm seeking. Can't you think of, I, I can think of Peter saying, then what are we doing here? In the middle of a Gentile world. What are we doing here? It'll all come together later, but Jesus was teaching them. She, re, she doesn't give up, though. This Canaanite woman, she is persistent. Again, she cries out. Verse 25. This time, just straight, Lord, help me. She doesn't say Lord of the Jews now, son of David. She's just saying, Lord. The implication, I believe, is Lord, period. Help me. Jesus' reply is still, mind-boggling if you just leave it and, and don't think about it. It's not right to take the child's bread and throw it to the dogs. Dogs is the term that righteous Jews use for Gentiles. Now, the word for dogs that they use, and I'm not the Greek person, so I'm not going to go into the actual Greek word and explain it to you, but there's a word that they basically use which means the dogs that scavenge and go from garbage heap to garbage heap looking for their food. They're unclean. But there was also a word for dog, which was the same word with a a different ending to it. It had to do with a house pet. Uh, A domesticated dog. And and in fact, uh, it could even go as far as to infer a puppy. (laughs) And... They, the, this is a different context for the Jews. This is the word he uses for her. 
he says it's not right to throw this to to the domesticated, you know, uh, throw it to the dogs. The, again, still with the idea of saying the children of Israel must be fed first. Is that not the process that Paul used? To the Jew first and then to the nations? Wasn't that the way it went off? Isn't that what Jesus said in the very beginning? He says, you will start in Jerusalem, you'll take it to Judea, you'll take it to the, the, the outer areas of, the, of, of Judea and, and, and then on to the, to the rest of the world. There was a principle here. But she catches this. I think it's an amazing because uh, this almost, in a sense, a sign of kindness instead of harshness wasn't lost on her. Her, her response, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs, and she's using the same word here, the domesticated, even the, 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 the pets, you know, get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Notice where the apostrophe is. I never had caught this before. It's not master apostrophe S, the master's table, i.e. the table of Jesus, if you would. It's masters with the apostrophe after the S, which means those who are the masters. She's basically saying, it, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's even from the Jewish tables, those who lord it over us, even from the Jewish tables, the crumbs fall. And that's enough. I'm thinking as I'm going through this, what an amazing statement. I don't believe that she is a scholar. But I absolutely believe she is being driven by the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus speaks to her, He is leading her in such a way to confirm her faith in Him. As well as teaching the disciples. And the end result was she could say, even a crumb from the table of the Jews is enough to take care of my need. It was almost like she was saying, all it will take Jesus is a nod from you and it's done. Look at Jesus' answer to this. What a contrast. Everything he's just done. Uh, I'm not talking to her. (laughs) To, well, I've got to come to the Jews first. And that was said to the disciples, not to her. But I'm sure she was in the proximity to hear it. And then he says to her, he says, no, I've got to go to the Jewish people first and feed them. Uh, It's not, you know, the children's bread doesn't go to the dogs and, and to the house pets. And she said, even the crumbs the house pets give. By the way, I don't know how many of you have indoor house pets. My dog, puppy dog, house pet dog, not wild scavenger, although she would be if she could sometimes. Uh, If we have had dinner, she goes around every place where somebody has sat and looks. Even after Bible study on Wednesday night, she goes around and looks after she comes out. And, and, and every now and then, she, you can see, she finds a, a crumb. 
and she snatches it up. And it's amazing. Her tail wags and she is really happy. What this lady is saying is, is a crumb from God is all I need. I don't need any more than that. And Jesus' response to her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you ask, as you desire. Now, it's important at this point, to, to I think, to also look at Mark chapter 7. Because he adds some information here that we don't see there. Verse 29 of chapter 7, in the same account of, of, of this woman, he calls her again the Syrophoenician woman, but it's the same woman in the area of Tyre and Sidon. And in verse 29 he says, And Jesus said to her, for this, statement you, uh, for this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. I, I just, that just emphasizes it. And I wanted to be sure you got that. But the thing that really amazed me was Jesus said it and she now is done begging. Her persistence has been given a word. It is done. And she leaves with the confidence. She didn't kind of look back and say, you're sure? You know, or do you, do you need to come? Or, or anything. She had the same confidence, in fact, that the centurion seemed to have in that sense that Jesus didn't even have to be there for it to take place. All he had to do was give a word, just a crumb, and his daughter would be okay. And he says, oh, you of great There's only one other one he acknowledges of great one who has great faith. The centurion in Matthew chapter 8. It's interesting, he doesn't say that about any of the Israelites. Two Gentiles. She approached him also with a sense of humility. I have to say that even if she, even though he had had a gentler word for the word dog, I still would have been offended. In a way, I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be offended for her a little bit anyway. And I know that Jesus does nothing that is sinful, nothing that is wrong. I know that he's leading her along and, 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 and bringing her to a full and confident faith that she can walk away with confidence that what Jesus says is done. You know, there's a sense of humility. She brings no argument to that. She brings no defense to that. In fact, she says, yeah, but even though I am like the puppy, a crumb will do. How often do I approach the throne of God with a sense of piousness that isn't necessarily... um, Oh, I'm I'm such a good person, Lord. But just the idea that I'm a Christian and and I and and I'm a pastor and I go to church and I read the Word and 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 whatever and my life is set apart from the world in some way. Now I know there are things that I need to bring before the Lord and confess, but I the idea of coming with that humility and rem, being reminded, 
this is something I don't deserve. But just a word from you, Lord, is enough. And Lord, I don't, I don't need the whole loaf. <laughs> I, just, I just need a word from you, just a crumb. I don't know how many times I think about how much more I want than I have. But I have to confess, there are times where I think about it. As I was tinkering with my wife's 1994 Honda, I took a hammer and no, I actually did because the YouTube said take a hammer and tap this spot. See if that will fix the problem. And it actually changed things, so I, I, I know that there's where the problem is. I wanted to do more with the hammer than that at that point. But um, what I'm saying is, is that at that part, it's kind of like, you know, let's just get rid of this and get a new car. Kathy will have nothing to do with that because she loves her car. She loves it. In fact, she says if we ever had a large sum of money, she wouldn't buy a new car. She'd go out and have that one overhauled, fixed, and painted up, even though it wouldn't be worth it. She loves her car. This woman showed me a sense of of something I had to think about, and that's being satisfied. And the reality of What I deserve is death and hell. Look at all I have. And I come back to something, uh, I'm picking on people directly today, I guess, Arlene, at a Bible study. She had heard, I think, either that day or the day before, if, if, if all you have tomorrow is what you thanked God for today, what would you have? That overwhelmed me. Break out the old hymnal. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Uh, because, you know, that's who, that's, that's the way we are to worship Him. I, I don't know. All of this came together for me as I was going through this and, and seeing that she was persistent. She wouldn't give up. And, 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 she, and the God blessed her with the answer to her, to her, the, her daughter was, was delivered. Now, I, I immediately need to be careful here. We don't always get the outcome of a healing because we approach the throne of God and ask Him with confidence that He is capable of knowing that He can. What we need to be sure we're doing is approaching the throne of God with the confidence that the right outcome will happen because we're resting in Him. And then the next question has to come. Then why all the trials and tribulations? And, the, and, 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 and candidly, we could say, you know, uh, look at what's happening to the Coptic uh, Christians in, in, in Egypt this, just uh, on the news this morning that, that was shared with me by Alan attacked for celebrating Palm Sunday, which is today. And, you know, and, and, and some of them gave their lives for their faith today. 
by all the trials and tribulations? Well, the first answer I, I come up with almost always is, well, we live in a fallen world. And, and, and as a result, we're experiencing the things of living in a fallen world. And, and people don't want to receive Christ. When they hear what, who Christ is, they, 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 the, the tendency is to say no to Him. I, I don't want to submit to Him. Uh, I don't want to submit to His Word. In fact, some will submit to anything else but His Word. And, and it's not always the idea that His Word has, has rules. They'll submit to rules that are crazy rather than submit to His Word. But the reality for the believer in trials and tribulations, Paul addresses. He says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Even when it doesn't go the way we would like it to go, is God still answering prayer? It's one of those things... We almost always think in terms of, oh, God answered this prayer because we got a yes. Do we give Him glory for a no? And we've got to remember, if He's in control, do we believe what the Word of God says? He's producing and building our faith, even the faith of the person going through the trial. And ultimately... Do we have the confidence that when Jesus or when Paul writes, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, do we have a confidence that that is true? The thing that gives us that confidence is the reality of who Christ is. And the reality that no matter what the trials and tribulations, no matter what goes on in this world, if I'm resting in Christ, there's one thing I know. There's no condemnation in me because I rest in Christ Jesus. I guess I personalized that. Romans 8.1 says, There therefore now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know that I have the Holy Spirit. I know that I am a child of God. I know that I am joint heirs with Jesus no matter what happens in this world. This woman grabbed a hold of that somehow. And I believe through the Holy Spirit opening her heart and her mind, go to Jesus. You can go to this God, but her statue and her marble lips are not going to answer. Go to Jesus. I don't think anybody in the town was necessarily going saying go to Jesus. She might have heard a few people that had gone to Jesus. I don't know. But there was a thing, something driving her. Go to Jesus. And when she got there, she would not let go. And I really believe that's where we need to be. At a point where we love the Lord Jesus and we just don't let go. Even when we can't see through the storm and through the waves, whatever. 
Today uh, is a traditional day on Palm Sunday to cry out, Hosanna to our King and Savior, the Son of David. That's the words that were happening as Jesus entered on the triumphal entry. But I was thinking maybe just tweaking that a little bit and just saying, Hosanna to the Lord of God, Lord God of all. The Lord who has saved us. And it's a very simple process, Jesus says. And, and, and He says, you know, believe in Me. Paul writes it to the Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Coming back to what Jesus was trying to get the Pharisees to see, it's what comes from the heart that makes the difference. When the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and your mind and your heart to Him, it's now a different place. I still struggle with sins. All of us do. But there's an amazing thing that happens at some point in time. And sometimes it doesn't happen instantly because I'm very stubborn in what I want to do. And and, and then all of a sudden the conviction floods back. And and, and it's because the Holy Spirit's at work saying, is this pleasing to God? And And you come back again and say, Lord, forgive me. And I find myself, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm grabbing a hold of Him and saying thank You for what You have done. And that's what we come to when we get to communion. He did it for us at the cross. He did it by pouring out His blood. He did it by offering His life, the bread of life. That we might, with confession of our mouth and belief in our heart, be saved and know There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ask the ushers to come forward to uh, pass the communion out. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together.
is my the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice, call out among the scoffers, it was my sin His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from His I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body. And He took the cup and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in My Father's kingdom. Father, once again we come thanking You for all that You have done. We come to Your table in recognition that through the cross, 
And through the words, as we see in this song, it is finished. We can rest with confidence that all the wrath and judgment that is due us in our sin has been covered through Your blood. And we thank You. And as we confess You as our Lord and believe in You as our Savior, we ask, Lord, that You would go with us. Cause us, Lord, to, to be confident that the God of all creation is our Savior. And to rest also with confidence that You have a plan that is being worked out and that we are part of it and that we are all needed by You and have been chosen by You to work out Your perfect plan. Cause us to be willing to be used and directed through Your Holy Spirit every day. To be a witness to those. To be bold with Your Word. And again, we thank You for what You have done. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close? We have some refreshments in the back if you have time to visit for a little while. And just want to say thank you for being here this morning. Oh God, You are my God, and I will ever praise You. Oh God, You are my God, and I will ever praise You. I will seek You in the morning, and I will learn to walk in Your ways. And step by step, You lead me. I will follow you all of my days. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning. I will learn to walk in your ways And step by step you lead me I will follow you all of my days I will follow you all of my days I will follow you all of my days And step by step you lead me I will follow you all of my days And I will follow you all of my days I will follow you all of my days And step by step you lead me I will follow you all of my days And step by step you lead me And I will follow you all of my days Amen, you're dismissed. Thank you. Listen, uh, cradle.